Do you enjoy going to a party? If, if you're the host or the hostess, you know there's a lot of work involved in that and you might not enjoy it as much. But if somebody's done all the preparation, if everything is laid out, if everything is ready to go and all you got to do is just show up, you don't have to bring a covered dish, you don't have to bring a, anything to share, you just come to the party. Would you enjoy a party like that? <laughs> I do. I love going to parties like that. The last party Bonnie and I were to was, was a lot of fun. Uh, somehow she ended up clustered with a bunch of gals on one side of the room and I was clustered with a bunch of dudes on the other side of the room. And at one point we made eye contact and I winked at her. And she gave me that big grin. After a few minutes, she walked all the way across the room. She hugged me, she whispered in my ear, do you know how much I love it when you wink at me? And then she kissed me. Now that I know, I plan to do it a lot more. That was really creepy, I'm betting, is what that was. <laughs> Jesus loved the party idea. In fact, now stop and catch this. When Jesus describes the kingdom of God, he often refers to it as a party or a banquet. Jesus used that metaphor a lot for us. A lot of people out there think that following Jesus is dull or boring. You know, why would anybody want to do that? And, and any time Jesus describes heaven, it's just the complete opposite. It is going to be the most blown out wedding party you've ever been a part of. And he loves calling us to come and be a part of this party. That's what this morning is all about. It, it's, it's a series of parables, a lot of teaching. I know when we started the Jesus Period series, it was all about uh, wonders he was doing and signs and miracles, and it was moving really fast, and we were really into it at the beginning. But now we're walking through this section where there's a lot of heavy teaching. Jesus is just about a month and a half away from the cross in our timeline. So everything that's happening here in chapter 14, all the way on, it moves really quick in his day, even though it slows us down so that Jesus can teach. Jesus is speaking today. And it's not to some crowd out there. It's not to some group 2,000 years ago. It's right here at Lincoln Christian Church this morning. And it's intended for just one person, you. He's just teaching you today. He's got a lot to say. You ready for this? Let's start unpacking this. We're in Luke chapter 14, starting with verse 1. One Sabbath, and please remember it's a Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. <laughs> Most of you don't know what this is like. Trust me, everywhere I go, I'm being watched. And I want to say it clearly today. I'm watching you watching me, all right? <laughs> The last time my brother-in-law was down to visit, he and I ran out to Walmart, and it just happened to be one of those days where every corner, every aisle, I ran into someone who knew me, and, and when we were leaving Walmart, my brother-in-law looked at me and he said, dude, you can't get away with a thing in this town. <laughs> I said, you'd be surprised. <laughs> there in front, <laughs> I didn't say that before, I don't know why I just said that now. And there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of the body. This is what we refer to as dropsy. It is a man who's slowly drowning in his own body fluids. Now, he wasn't invited to the party. In fact, he doesn't get to stay at the party. You'll find that out in a little bit. 
He's been placed there. He's purposely been brought into this party. He's been placed in a strategic place where Jesus will see him to trip Jesus up. It's the Sabbath. The Pharisees hate it when Jesus heals on the Sabbath. They purposely put this in there to see if they can trick Jesus into doing it again so that they can find fault with him. And that's why this man is there. They should have invited him to stay at the party. You'll learn that later too. Why didn't you ask him to stay? They don't. Somehow people in great need, we can walk right by them. Especially on a religious day. Hmm. Verse 3. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, Jesus healed him and sent him on his way. <laughs> can you help people on a religious day? Jesus answers his own question. Yep, you sure can. And he does it. Verse 5. Then Jesus asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? <laughs> Well, save the ox, leave the teenager is what I'm thinking. But, <laughs> but they had nothing to say. These people are still not answering Jesus. They know what Jesus is doing here. They know this is starting to turn on them. It would have been so easy to break the Sabbath for an ox. Why? Because they valued an ox so highly. Back in Bible times, if you had an ox, you really had something. If you had a pair of oxen, you were considered really wealthy. That's why later on when somebody uses the excuse, I just bought five pairs of oxen, ten ox all at one time, that man is extravagantly uh, wealthy. It's like going out and buying ten new Cadillacs all at one time. And so a, an ox would have been of such high value in their mind, they would immediately have gone out and tried to rescue the ox, even if it would have been a Sabbath day. And how valuable is a child? <laughs> Should be valuable that they would have done anything to rescue a child. But somehow this poor beggar, they had so lowered him in their mind, he didn't have any value. Therefore, Jesus should not be reaching out and healing him. And again, it asks the bigger question of you and I, how we see other people. And it is a struggle for even good Christian people when they encounter a homeless person or somebody very, very down on their luck to somehow see ourselves as better than them. Or we begin to question, well, they put themselves in this position, you know. They didn't have to do this, and we become critical or judgmental. Jesus is right in the face of this kind of teaching, of this kind of, of people, the Pharisees and the experts of the law. Well, they've been watching Jesus. Jesus has been doing a little watching of his own. He watched people as they came into the dinner party, positioned for the best seats. Look at verse 7. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take a place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. Verse 9. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat and then humiliate it. You will have to take a least important place. Verse 10. And when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Bonnie and I recently had a wedding. I was shocked. 
the mother of the bride, when we got there, we were looking for a place. I was looking at the back of the room for my seat. And the mother of the bride came up and said, no, we have you at our table. And I'm like, are you, we're from out of state? And, and this, the mother of this bride valued Bonnie's friendship so much that we were moved all the way up and got to sit closer to the, the bride and groom than a lot of other family members did. And I, I was just blown away by that. I've known people who refused to go to a wedding because they didn't like the seating arrangements. You know? And here I am sitting right up next to the groom and the bride. No, that's right. That's where I belong. <laughs> and, and then Jesus slams you <laughs> for thinking that way. Do you know what's really going on in this little passage? I, I know it seems so odd. It's 2,000 years ago and watching people come in. Jesus must not have had a prominent place at that dinner party because he gives this teaching. What if someone more important than you would be here? And who could be more important at this dinner feast than the King of Kings? This has Old Testament connection all the way back to Proverbs chapter 25. In Proverbs 25, it reads like this, Do not exalt yourself in the King's presence and do not claim a place among His great men. It is better for Him to say to you, Come up here, than for Him to humiliate you before His nobles. <gasps> Isn't that amazing? I think Jesus is referring to this passage. He's just not using the king language part. But he's a king of kings. There's no one more prominent at this dinner theater or at this dinner event than Jesus is, and yet people position themselves before him. And again, it just starts begging questions of you and I. Where is Jesus in our heart? What place do we give him in our life? What about our dinner's tables? <laughs> you know, the the old idea of praying for our food before a meal is just passing away and it's even passing away with good Christian people. Where we stop and we acknowledge, no, the King of Kings is here. And He gets the place of honor at our table. So verse 11, Jesus gives the punch to all this. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. I think this, that beggar is still on Jesus' mind a little bit. He was so humbled. And Jesus walks in, and out of a room full of people, he gives this man his attention and heals him. He goes from being humbled to being exalted in the mind of Jesus. But not in these Pharisees' minds. Oh, let's keep reading. Verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. How much you want to bet that was the entire guest list for that event? Come on, you, you know Jesus has got to just almost be pointing. Don't invite them, don't invite them, don't invite them, don't invite them. That's not the point though. If you do, they might invite you back and then you get into this little trap of repaying each other all the time. Verse 13, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the poor guy who had dropsy at the beginning of the story, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is Jesus saying, don't just give to people who can repay you all the time. Once in a while, give to someone who will never be able to repay you. You got somebody in mind? When was the last time you did that? Where you just 
Bless somebody who will never ever be able to repay you. You got someone you've done that for? Yeah, I couldn't come up with anyone either. Verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard all this, he said, well, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. This poor guy, he hates tension. Can't you just see it? So he tries to break the tension a little bit. You know, it's that poor guy when the it gets too tense in a room. <laughs> How about them cubs? Yeah, let's talk about the cubs. But Jesus won't allow the tension to be broken. He goes on. Verse 16, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. If you don't know how Jesus' parables work, let me explain this. The certain man is God. His servant is the son of his son, Jesus Christ. The banquet invitation is to come and join Jesus at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And those who have been invited first are the Israelites. But I wonder if the Israelites will say yes to the invitation. Probably not. Verse 18. But they all began to make excuses. The first man said, I just bought a field. I must go and see it. By the way, that's just a lame excuse. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I have to go try them out. Again, that's a lame excuse. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. <laughs> come to a party? I can't. I'm married. <laughs> There's dudes in the room going, yeah, okay, I get that part. That's a, yeah, way to be the head of your household, dude. Look at the list. Let me bring it 2,000 years forward for a moment. Just bought a field. That means possessions. That's stuff. Uh, five yoke of oxen. That's work-related. The wife... That's family related. And let me tell you how many times I've heard excuses for not drawing close to God or for not coming to Jesus Christ or for not attending church falls always in those three excuses. It's either the stuff I've bought or it's something work related or I've over elevated my family over my God. Always. And these are the excuses that people have been using for 2,000 years. Uh, Jesus has a point, though. Verse 21. The servant came back. He reported this to his master. Look at all the excuses they made. But the owner of the house became angry. He ordered his servant, go back out then, quickly. Into the streets, into the alleys of the town. Do you know who's in the alleys of the town? Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Verse 22. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has already been done, and there is still room. In my own personal Bible, that little verse, still room, I've underlined that. I love that phrase. There's still room. How big is the kingdom of God? There's still room. The whole story of Jesus might have begun with this poor innkeeper who said, there's no room here for Jesus, that poor guy. <laughs> but here's Jesus saying, no, there's still lots of room for you. There's nobody in this room today that Jesus doesn't have room for. Not one person. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how far you've gone away. I don't care how broken or messed up your life might be. If there is room there for me, there is room there for you. Verse 23. Then the master told his servant, all right, go way out then. Go out to the roads. Go way out the country lanes. 
Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. You know, it interests me sometimes how many people have left churches because they've become too big. And here's Jesus saying, I want a full house. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will ever get a taste of my banquet. And he means those who said no and made excuses. That's an ouch, by the way, because that's pointed right at the Israelites. Who were the first ones invited to the kingdom? The Israelites were the first ones invited. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. John chapter 1. So that's why God opens up the door then to Gentiles. You, you know what? Their poor, lame excuses was really good news for you and I because that opened the door for us. We're part of the Gentile world that's been invited in. We're the ones way down the country lanes, way out in the country, in the back alleys. That's us. Go find just the most messed up, broken people and bring them to my house because Jesus is saying, I want a full house. And the banquet has already been spread. And any one of us can come to it. It will be the most blowout wedding event you've ever been a part of when you get to heaven. Why would you say no? Why would you make excuses? Jesus is saying, I'm going to start reaching out. And I'm going to reach out way further than a lot of people are comfortable. All you got to do is look right here on a Sunday morning. You can see how way, way out Jesus went. You can see how way, way out he's been reaching. <laughs> Just look around you. What happens here on a Sunday morning is no less of a miracle today. There's a drug addict who will be serving communion to church ladies today, and they don't even know it. There's a convicted thief who will be collecting up the offering. There's a police officer, if you look, and... Just worshiping behind him is a felon that he arrested last year. One Sunday I looked out and I watched one of our judges worshiping God and he was in the same section with a man he convicted just the month before. And that man came in and worshiped right next to the judge. If you look up here on stage, you'll see a man who has the privilege of preaching who has a past, past failures, made a mess of my life. I shipwrecked myself too. And you look up here on stage and you'll see people who are leading us in worship with all of their hearts, but they're just as messed up as I am. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> uh, okay, just a minute. Uh, that was, uh, are, are you guys got your acts all together or are you a mess? What is it? Mess. Me? <laughs> yeah. No, no, we know you're a mess, dude. <laughs> you're surrounded by people who are just a mess. You give us long enough, we will make a mess of our world. And when a lot of people in our lives turn their backs on us and say, that's it, I'm done with you. Jesus says, go get them. There's room at my table. Come, go get them. Bring them in. Because I want a full house, Jesus says. I want a big, full house. And that opened up the door for all kinds of questionable people. But it opened up a door for me and it opened up a door for you. Isn't that the kind of church you want to be a part of? Isn't that the kind of ministry you want your heart to be patterned after? 
Oh my goodness. It's beautiful how far Jesus reached out. And he's still reaching out today. And the invitation is still going out. Come to the feast. All you got to do is connect yourself to Jesus. Period. And you're in. Even King David, by the way, this has been the heart of God for a long, long time. Even King David, in his most famous psalm, said, You are preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, you, Lord, are preparing a table before me. And so this morning, I don't get to extend the invitation to this table. This is not mine to extend an invitation to. Jesus has already done this. Around the room are four communion tables. And uh, I'm not inviting you to those tables to come take communion. And this church is not inviting you to come to those tables. Jesus is. He's saying, come, dine with me. This isn't about people who are in front of you or behind you. It's not about someone who's watching you. This is about me and you standing at this table and you taking that little wafer and remembering my life, remembering my body hanging on a cross. It's about you taking that little cup and putting it to your lips and tipping it and remembering the blood of Jesus, how much blood flowed to save us. That's what this is about. Come and die. And Jesus is saying, I've already set the tables. They're set. There's nothing for you to do but just come and dine with me. And so that's the invitation this morning. In a moment, Lauren's going to take us right into communion. And the invitation is not about your spouse or your family members. When you get to those tables, will you just stop for a moment? Let go of the stuff. Let go of the work. Let go of those family relationships just long enough for just you and Jesus to have a moment. I would think when I get to that table, I got just one thing to say. Thank you. Thank you for reaching out so far that it even included someone like me. Come and dine.